It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Sports Walk is back. Watch season three of Backpack Broadcasting's original web series that brings you the opinions of real sports fans. The first two seasons and current season are available now for viewing on the Sports Walk YouTube channel and Facebook page. Check out the 2017 NYC WebFest official selection and see what other sports fans have to say on the hottest issues in sports today. It's easy. Just take the Sports Walk. Hundred and fifty. You know, Brian's all about the numbers, so he is happy about that. One. A lot of people don't get to one fifty. A lot of people don't even get to fifty. Fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> but we did. We definitely did get to one fifty. Hey, you know what? Another thing that a lot of people don't do. A lot of people don't get four NBA championships, and LeBron James just did that, winning with the Los Angeles Lakers. His fourth NBA championship, third with a different team. Uh, and the only player in NBA history to win three NBA Finals MVPs with three different teams. So that is, I don't care how you chalk that up. I don't care where you put him in the LeBron versus MJ debate, which I'm kind of particularly sick of. Um, I'm a little bit tired of it. What I think you can't deny, even if you want to hate on LeBron, is that LeBron is great, right? Like, let's just look at this numbers as we start off this talk and looking at the 2020 Finals, which was... A very good finals. It went as I predicted. I predicted the Lakers in six. That's exactly how it went down. A lot of people thought this was going to be a sweep early on. A lot of people thought Miami was going to roll over, except for our Brian Fonseca, who knew that wasn't going to happen because Miami has to fight. And let's give credit to Miami, the heart of a championship. Seriously. And I mean that all seriously. We're going to talk about that. Let's give credit to Miami. We'll talk about that and how they had a lot of heart and a lot of moxie, even though they got blown away in game six. This is a team that showed a lot of heart. But let's bring it back to LeBron. LeBron here is just a couple months shy of his 36th birthday. And this man averaged 29.8 points, 11.8 rebounds, and eight and a half assists while, all while, shooting a scorching 59% from the floor and 41 from three. In game six, LeBron at 28, 14, and 10. A nice triple-double. He yeah. did that at 36. Let me tell you something, people. And there's not even a top-whatever game for him. No, it's not. It's not even like a great it's LeBron not. game. It wasn't an all-time LeBron game. The better game in the series probably came the game before in a loss in Game 5, which was a really great game by LeBron, including which he was, what, 6 of 9, 6 of 8 from 3 um, in that game. LeBron was phenomenal in this series, absolutely deserved the MVP. Uh, although you obviously could have had a case for Anthony Davis, but I think the last two games really pushed it to LeBron. But at the age of 36, and I would like to say this, I'm 37 years old. <laughs> what I'm about to say, Brian doesn't know anything about. He has no idea about this. He doesn't know anything about this. Yo, you start getting up there in age, you start feeling things a little bit differently. And I'm somebody who's active. I work out. I'm, I consider myself in pretty damn good shape. Now, yeah. out here trying to get sloppy. LeBron is in phenomenal shape. And yeah. this man is still keeping his body. And another thing I know Brian and I are going to get into, in this bubble, his mind sharp to be able to perform at a high level. And for me watching that be, I respect that a ton. 
I see the work. Whenever I see greatness, I see the work people put in, the time, the dedication, the sacrifice. And this is what I see at LeBron. This is the reason I watch sports. I love seeing that high level of work. And for him to work at this level and then execute, tremendous, tremendously amazing. I know you and I, we both picked the Lakers at the beginning of the year to win this. Um, some people doubted the Lakers. They didn't think they were that good. Everybody was on the Clippers bandwagon. And I'm not here to laugh at those people and say they were wrong or whatever. No, nah, we're not doing that. Well, look, the Lakers played like champions. They got it. They looked like they had the two best players on the floor the entire series. Um, and they got the job done. I'm just, I'm thoroughly impressed with what we saw from LeBron and the numbers I just mentioned. Just thoroughly impressed by this guy. And wherever you want to rank him, the one thing you cannot say is, you can't say that he isn't great, right? See the shirt I'm wearing today? It's a yeah. quote It's a quote from Omar from The Wire. If you come at the king, you best not miss. And look, the king, king's had people taking shots at him. He said he wants his respect after he won that championship. And I think that had a lot to do with, Brian, had a lot to do with the fact that people haven't still respected him as still the best player in the league. They've moved and rushed to pass it on to other people, but LeBron is still showing that he, at the age of 36, is playing at one of the highest levels any of us watching basketball has ever seen from anybody at that age. Yeah, it's like it's ridiculous at this point. He has, I would probably say, in terms of, or at least he's going to have, in terms of longevity, he's going to have the greatest career ever by the time he retires if he keeps going at this rate. And that's even with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar having 20 years of just one of the greatest careers we've ever seen. Like, LeBron might eclipse that in some way in the future. Like, it's still very possible, and we'll get into this later on, that he gets another championship because the odds are kind of in his favor. You know what I mean? Like, right now, it's – it's it's if I'm if I'm trying to pick an early – way too early champion, we don't even know what the offseason is going to look like. We don't even know what next season is going to start, quite frankly. But if I had to pick, how am I going to pick against the Lakers? And this is kind of what we saw in the beginning when we were talking about, like, who do we think is going to win the championship this season when we were having those discussions literally a year ago. Um, we were saying, like, look, how could you really bet against LeBron at this point? And now that he has Anthony Davis, especially. Even last year, I was entertaining the possibility. I remember we had Howard Beck on the show. And I was like, man, I think they might get to the conference finals even with just LeBron. And they got as high as the fourth seed, I believe, before he got hurt. There's no telling what that team could have actually done in the Western Conference. I don't think they would have gotten past Golden State. But I do think that would have been an entertaining Western Conference finals if they got to that point. But this is just to say, like, yo, this isn't even an all-time great Lakers team. Like, if you go just up and down the roster and you look at the dudes, like, part of the allure for this season was that all these teams, like, the league was spread out wide open. We had, like, what we felt like were 10 true contenders for a championship. That's how you wind up with Miami in the finals, by the way. Because they were able to get past all these other teams and beat Milwaukee and beat Boston. And Toronto had a dogfight with Boston in the playoffs. And Indiana had some injuries. So that took them out of the picture early. Philly underperformed. And then eventually Miami was the last one standing. But we thought at some point that all of those teams, minus except for maybe Indiana, was going to make it to the finals at some point. Or at least had a great shot at doing so. You know, think about what a Boston versus Lakers series could have been. And then in the Western Conference... and. You know, the thing that obviously pisses me off is that people are trying to negate this and be like, oh, you know, uh, asterisk and that kind of shit. That was the first thing I had, like, at the end of the game. I was like, this is not an asterisk title. If anything, this is probably the hardest title to win in NBA history because you had to take some time off. Then you had to recoup, get back. You're dealing with coronavirus. You're dealing with uh, social injustices that you are trying to actively fight, especially LeBron. He has a more than a vote campaign. Started that during this year. And right. these guys are dealing with the mental health. Uh, just sort of like things that could really hurt your mental health and being in the bubble and being away from home. I don't think we comprehend that enough when we talk about these things. Like these guys were in isolation for a long period of time. They want to go home. There are players that I'm sure that in the bubble, they wanted to just lose in the playoffs and just go home. It's like, yo, I want to be with my family. I don't want to be isolated here. You're living away uh, basically on an island in this bubble for, you know, for the Lakers and Heat three months or so and for the, a bunch of reporters that were there you're, you're talking about a lot so i think that was a lot to ask for and for them to do it this is not an asterisk it's, it's special it's a very special nba championship i think anybody who thinks the asterisk and brian called, called asked me this weeks ago he had called me and asked me what i thought about that 
if this was an asterisk on the championship. And I said, no, for the reasons that Brian all mentioned before. But another thing is, look, nobody puts an asterisk next to the 99 Spurs. And I said this to you, Brian, when yeah. they won a championship in a 50-game shortened lockout season, and we even saw the eight-seeded Knicks, which should not have been an eight-seed, um, and was more talented that we saw them make that run to the finals. One of the very exciting years of my life. Probably the last exciting year I had around the Knicks now I think about it. But not twelve thirteen. Twelve thirteen was somewhat good, exciting. That was that a exciting. fun ass yeah. Nick team. But it but it ended so quickly, which is totally <laughs> Nick like. Um but look, th- th- this was a hard championship, as you said, Brian. This was one that took a lot of mental fortitude. And as I mentioned, that was shown by LeBron being the leader that he is with the team and trickling down to the other players. You know, any and same for Miami. Any teams to hang in there this long, to stay tough, keep their eyes on the prize and continue to battle for it, that's not easy. So, yeah, that asterisk talk, that's nonsense. And I think that's for a lot of people. They don't understand what it's like to work and be away from your families. When you work and you have to be away from your families, I've actually done that. Not easy. So I can't even imagine having to do that and get your body ready and your mind right and perform at a high level. You know, anytime you're gone for an extended period of time and you're working, you're trying to perform at something at a high level and you're away from the comforts of your home and the people you love – it's not easy. It wears on you after a while. It's all good at first, but then it kind of wears on you. So you you need to understand that that was not easy for a lot of these guys. I don't care whether you're LeBron or you're the 15th man on the bench. It wasn't easy at all whatsoever. But with all that being said, you know, we laud the Los Angeles Lakers. But we got to give some props and kudos to Brian's Miami Heat. And, <laughs> you know, look, man, look, when I look at the Heat and I look at what they did, we can talk about their run. But we got to talk about one thing, and we've brought this up in the podcast before, so I don't want to belabor this. But I do want to say, we saw some great performances from Jimmy Butler, Brian's boy. And Jimmy Butler, and I like to know this from a lot of people, I really want to know where people see Jimmy Butler. Where you see him, because two seasons ago, let's just go to two seasons ago, people, yeah. people were talking about, oh, I don't know, Jimmy Butler's a problem. He's a cancer. Can't get along with anybody. The Bulls didn't want him to be the face of the franchise. Then he goes to Minnesota, and it was deemed that he couldn't get along with the young guys. But now we know through further reporting, the young guys wasn't putting in the work that Jimmy Butler respected. And I have no problem with Jimmy Butler not respecting that. Jimmy Butler then goes to Philadelphia, and Brett Brown had problems coaching him. And I think it's fair to then question, and we might get into this in a future podcast, why the 76ers chose Brett Brown, who's no longer (laughs) coaching the team, over Jimmy Butler. I don't ever feel like that's the way you want to go with it. Like, I think that's fair to question that, right? You can't just go with it that way. Brian always talks about fit and being in the right culture. Culture is an overused word. We know that. We've heard this in sports. But it appears, at least from what we saw throughout the season, because I said it looked good in the beginning of the season, but towards the end of the season, we see Jimmy Butler fits this Miami team. He is this Miami team. He is this Miami culture. And look, we saw times in the playoffs when he needed a big game from him, the man stepped up. He could give you 40. He'll give you 35. When he needs to blend in and pass, he did. That man's really about what he says, and we need to put some respect on his name. And when I say respect on his name, maybe it's time to start looking at this dude as one of the 10 best players in the NBA or higher if you want, because one thing you count on with Jimmy Butler is he's going to deliver in the playoffs, however you may need it to be. And he showed that this postseason. And nobody's talking anymore about how Jimmy Butler might be a cancer, how you can't get along with Jimmy Butler, how you can't build a franchise around Jimmy Butler, because he checked off all of those things in these playoffs, right? Jimmy Butler's tired. Tom Thibodeau wore his legs off. That nonsense that people say. All this stuff, all that's out the window. And I'm calling out some of the media. If you're from the media and you said this stuff, own up to it and be better. Say that you were wrong because you labeled Jimmy Butler as such a thing without understanding Jimmy Butler. Maybe Jimmy Butler wasn't a problem. Maybe it was the teams that he was around. Maybe it was his environment, as we're probably seeing. That is the problem. So before Brian gets on his soapbox, I just want to say we got to put some respect on Jimmy Butler's name. We got to take a hats off to his performance. He had a fantastic performance in game five, which is one of the duels for the ages going against LeBron. I mean, he was fantastic on both sides of the ball. Look, man, if you're not impressed by anything in this playoffs, you got to be impressed with the heat and what they did and the culture they built. But you also got to be impressed with Jimmy Butler. 43 minutes a game in the NBA finals, 26 points, 8.3 rebounds, 9.8 assists. We can basically say 10 assists per game. 
2.2 steals, 0.8 blocks, only three turnovers a game, given the amount of times he had the ball in 43 minutes per game. That's damn impressive. Uh, 55% from the field and almost 83% on free throws, nine attempts per game. Mm. And the memorable photo of him leaning over the table late in game five while he was having that all-time great duel, as you said. Um, I hate the way we evaluate players, generally speaking, because we look at talent more so than anything else. Mm -hmm. And I think we make that mistake in just evaluations, period. Like Jay Electronica, we give him a pass because he's such a great artist, even though he's put out like two albums despite being an artist for like 15 years or whatever the case may be. You know, I'm hyper hyperbole there, but at the same time, it's like that that sort of is what it is. Like we just give a pass to certain dudes because they're talented. And a lot of guys in this league are talented. It's the fucking NBA. But Jimmy Butler has proven that he is a winner. And he is very talented, but also he's going to be but so talented compared to some other guys because he was 30th overall pick in his draft and came out of junior college. But he's accomplished more in the NBA than James Harden has. Full stop. Mm. Right? He Mm. has accomplished more in the NBA than James Harden has. Like, yes, James Harden has an MVP. What playoff moments does James Harden have? The playoff moments that we remember is him falling short. The playoff moments that we remember is him and the Houston Rockets, you know, missing every three imaginable in the second half of a game, blowing a lead against, I don't remember if it was Oklahoma City or or, or Golden State or whatever. It doesn't matter, honestly. Golden State. He's lost to both. And then we also remember him being really young and not coming through in the finals and being terrible in, the, in, in that series uh, when OKC needed him against Miami. With Jimmy Butler, he's proven, especially in these last two years, because he had some playoff run-ins before, but that was earlier in his career. And he's obviously, you know, he, he's developed. Like, Minnesota was good before when he was there. He got hurt, and that almost tanked their season. And he supposedly was the third guy there because Andrew Wiggins was his first overall pick. And Carl Anthony Towns was his first overall pick. And Carl Anthony Towns averages 25 and 12 and shoots 50-whatever percent from the field and 40% from three. But it doesn't result into anything. We have to stop judging players based off of numbers. And numbers is the easiest thing because a lot of people who are fucking analysts look at box scores and be like, this person's better than this person because this person had 26 points and 11 assists. And it's like, did you watch the game? How much of that was in the fourth quarter? How much of that happened with six minutes left to go? And the six minutes left to go, Jimmy Butler will get a big deflection. He'll get a big steal that will lead into a hockey assist. And you won't really see a lot of that on the stat sheet. Right. You see the steal, but you won't see like certain little things. You have to watch these games. And with players like Jimmy Butler, we tend to discredit them just because they're not flashy. If you look up a Jimmy Butler mixtape, it's going to be a lot of deflections. It's going to be ball stops on defense. He'll probably have a couple up and unders, maybe a few clutch shots to you, win you, you, you would gladly edit that mixtape. Gladly. You know, like, but, that's, but that's what it's going to be. It's not going to be, you know, like with Kyrie, double crosses, goes left, then goes right or whatever. Like when he, you know, when he shakes somebody and puts them on the floor, it's not going to be like when James Harden does a step back in your eye hole and then gets a four point play in the second quarter of a game that doesn't fucking matter. You know what I mean? Like Jimmy Butler makes plays when it matters. Like we need to stop looking at this as like, yo, this person averaged 25 and four, but this person averaged 28, eight and seven. And it's like, no, this is not how we evaluate players because if I'm going by numbers, Russell Westbrook supposedly better than Jimmy Butler. Who the fuck would you rather have right now? Like, there are only... I'm taking Jimmy Butler. There are only maybe, like, three dudes in the NBA. I'm taking over Jimmy Butler right now in terms of who's going to win me a game. We're going to get to that in another episode because I actually have a ranking system ready for that. Jimmy Butler... Oh, he does. Yeah, and Jimmy Butler is already... Like, you're talking about the Miami Heat as an organization. Like, they don't tank because of shit like this. Like, I found it laughable because... Pat Riley didn't win executive of the year, and apparently they voted for that in March. So it's like, I don't even know why you have that award anyway if you're voting for it in March. We can't be giving dudes executive of the year. I think Lawrence Frank got it, right? We can't be giving dudes executive of the year if you just sign two dudes who we, you know, assume are just going to work. Like, Net fans were complaining, how come Sean Marks got only one third place vote? Because one of the motherfuckers hasn't played. And the other one got hurt and didn't finish his third season in like five years. I do, th- I do think there's something to to having that vote to see how those transactions turns out. Because because what you're doing then by executive year is like who won the off season. Winning the off season should then also translate. Like those transactions have to work out. The trades, the signings you make have to work out. And your point being that the Jimmy Butler signing, sign and trade. Let's also be clear. 
uh, absolutely worked out for the Miami Heat. Well, that's the thing. And, and they they're set without... up to have they're set up to have a really good future. They did not have really giving up anything of significance. They did it without cap space. Yeah. Like we were like, yo, how the how are they gonna make this work? Because it's like it's like okay, we'll put Josh Richardson here, Hassan Whiteside, whatever. Oh, we got to take back Myers Leonard, whatever. Like, and they somehow wound up with Jimmy Butler because Philly didn't want to keep him because they wanted to keep Brett Brown, and they got swept in the first round of the playoffs by Boston. And Jimmy Butler was two games away from taking down LeBron James in the finals. Now, you know, obviously Game Six was what it was. It mm-hmm. looked like they were tired. I kind of wish that that game was on Monday because I turned into ESPN and they're talking about fucking Dak Prescott breaking his leg, and no disrespect to Dak Prescott. Scott, you know, all prayers and thoughts and all that stuff, you know, goes out to him. But like, yo, the NBA finals ended last night. We're talking about football. Everybody, like, well, it's American. And, Everybody and, can't wait to get back to football. And furthermore, and this is probably going to be my last point on this, or maybe I don't know because I might ramble some more. But here's my thing: like, I actually had an issue, genuine issue, with how the NBA finals was covered. That shit was like a Lakers coronation from before that shit started. They were like, yo, when is it? Like, they were just kind of like up in there like, oh, who they got to play? Oh, it doesn't matter. And I love that Miami played themselves into being more than a footnote. Because I think that what people expected was for them to just be a footnote, a four or five game sweep or gentleman sweep on this ride. And it's like, no, Jimmy Butler showed you that even with Bam being way less than 100% and not really himself this series because of that injury, Goran Dragic trying to play through plantar fasciitis in the last game. That dude from Slovenia is tougher than a lot of Americans think they are. I'll say that much also. And you had Jimmy Butler, who sprained his ankle in game one, came back and still had the series that he had. I'm not even sure if he was 100% given the ankle. I don't know if that was Probably not. Probably not. You know, and I I just assume at this point of the year that nobody's 100%. I just always assume that. But I love that they came in, did what they did, played well other than, you know – uh, parts of game one and then game six, uh, obviously, because the gas tank was just too low and, you know, the Lakers turned it up to a level that the Heat couldn't get to. But they're here to stay. And whoever thinks that they're just going to have this easy route to the Eastern Conference, the, easy, the, the, the Eastern Conference is going to be great next year. Boston, Toronto, Miami, Brooklyn. I mean, we'll see how that goes. But talent-wise, at least, even though I hate judging people on just talent, they should be good. They should be up there. And Milwaukee, they still have Giannis. They still have Chris Middleton. Rumors about them adding CP3, I don't know. But the ESPN coverage, I'm like, man, I'm listening to Mark Jackson, and I can tell he hasn't seen this team play. He's saying things like Jimmy, like everyone's like, yo, Jimmy Butler needs to take over. He needs to da-da-da-da-da. And it's like, this is not how they play games. Like, he'll find the openings like he did later on and was able to do some of those things that people wanted him to do. And then, like, you're you're looking at... You know, the Heat go on this run at one point. I think it was in game three. And then Mark Jackson's complimenting the Lakers' defense while the Heat are going on this run and they go up double digits. And I'm like, what the fuck? Just the coverage on ESPN, I was actually disappointed in because it was very Lakers heavy, which I kind of expected. But it was to the point where it was obnoxious. And then they were using this Kobe shit and RIP to Kobe forever. But they were using Kobe Bryant's death to sort of add to the coverage and be like, yo, this is for him. And it's like, yo, son, can we not like use it in that way and exploit his death? Yeah, I think I think snakeskin jerseys in game five and they took that shit and ran with it. And I was low key glad that Miami won that game. Because if they, because if the Lakers would have won that game, the coverage just would have been nasty. I think, Not for just ESPN, but I, just in general. I think people wanted the really nice narrative with that and a nice tie. It ended up being that, but it didn't work out the way they wanted to with them winning in the Mama jerseys. With all that being said, um, it was a fantastic series, good NBA Finals. And the other thing I will add before well, we wrap... I love the Jimmy Butler performance, by the way. Yeah. You right now. <laughs> and, and the other thing I'll add before we wrap up is, you know, we just have to look back. I, I before... The NBA went to this bubble, did not think they should play. I didn't think sports should return. Uh, Sports has been fine when played in a bubble, and we're seeing all the problems that the NFL is having right now with that. We will get into that more, I'm sure, throughout the season as this goes on. But let's give, we got to give kudos to the NBA. I tweeted this last night. Great finals. Salute to the Lakers. Salute to the Heat for doing what they did. But the NBA put on this bubble. There were zero positive COVID tests. While games were played, no problems at all whatsoever. This worked. From everything you hear from people, there was a lot of discipline down there. There was a lot that went into it. The players made it work. If anybody stepped out the lines, they were held accountable, as we saw 
Oh, what happened to us, my man in Houston? Oh, Daniel House. Daniel House. I just ooh. thought of that too. Yeah, ooh, it wasn't good going back to his I house. I hope. I hope for Daniel House it was worth it though, because look, they were one game away from elimination. You know what I'm saying? I don't like. I tweeted this out or something to this effect. I was like, Yo, how does she look? Like, we it don't, don't like matter. Any. It don't I matter. Didn't, it didn't even matter about all that. You know why it didn't matter about all that? You saw what his wife tweeted. Mm, he got to go oh, back to that cool. house for that. Yeah. 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 All right. Um, but uh, but you know, kudos to the NBA because the NBA did a fantastic job with this and holding it down. WNBA, WNBA NHL, too. Uh, NWSL, National Women's Soccer League, which is still going on. Uh, MLS, which I believe is also still. And going MLS on. had a little shaky start, but then it was fine. This is going to show you, you know, and just on a note with that to bring it back to society. We can have these things we want in society, but it's going to take a lot of discipline. It's going to take a lot of control. And this is why for people out there, just regular, not even the sports, wear your damn mask. Please wear your damn mask to, yeah. to, to the, the fools out there that don't want to do this so we can keep the virus down as we're probably going heading into a second wave the way numbers are looking right now. But with all that being said, right now, all that being said, really good to see what the NBA did. Glad I got to see basketball at a high level because there was great basketball played here in the yeah. bubble. And there were some really exciting performances. And so... As much as funny is weird, because at this time of the year, we're usually about to start talking basketball, and we are ending a basketball season. Yeah, I can't look forward to next season. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know if it'll be in arenas. I don't know if it'll be in a bubble. I have no idea. The one thing I'm confident about with the NBA is they have done right by the players, and they will look to do the right thing for the players' health and safety. And, you know, salute to them. But a great NBA Finals and uh, great basketball seasons was a long one. Took 12 months. Basketball's done, but salute to the Los Angeles Lakers, the 2020 NBA champions. Now, last thing real quick. Some of the odds, because uh, the odds came out for next year's championship already. I don't know if you want to get into this for a couple minutes because you went on a little bit of a rant about how early these things came out. But I'm yeah, just going to go through the, I'm just gonna go through the top ten. I was going to go through the top ten. This is from the Action Network. Lakers are plus 375. They have the best odds right now. Uh, Clippers plus 425, Bucks 650, Warriors 750, Brooklyn plus 1,000, fifth place already, uh, Celtics 1,200, Heat 1,300, Raptors 1,700, Nuggets 2,000, and then the Rockets at 2,200, and then after that, it's like Philly and Portland and whatever. You don't give a shit. <laughs> I, don't, I don't care. I can care less. I can care less. It's way too early. Like, I'm not a degenerate gambler. I don't care. I can care less. I don't even know what the offseason looks like. How do I care? Why do I Where, care? The season's going to start. And that's the thing. People are just putting the nets up there. It's like, Kevin, the season. let's say the season starts in March, right? March. Because that's just possible. Or let's say February, right? Kevin Durant will be 20 months without playing, 20 months from removed from playing his last NBA game. Kyrie Irving over a year. Karis LeVert, I mean, he, he gets hurt a lot, unfortunately. And I like Harris. Or he might not be on the team. Who knows? I don't know. Or he might not be on the team, but it's like <laughs> yeah, the odds like it's it's stupid. I'm not. I, I have nothing to say other than that. The uh, looking forward to next season. We could end it there. What's up, listeners and supporters of the Ain't Hard to Tell podcast? We need some help from you, and it won't take up too much of your time. As we grow, we always want to hear your feedback, so take a minute or two to fill out a short anonymous survey. The survey link is right in the episode notes for this podcast. It's easy and takes less than five minutes. As always, we thank you for your continued support. All right, so for our guest today, we have... A special guest, because we've been wanting to talk about boxing and a fight that is upcoming that we're very excited about. We have Ryan Sangalia of Ring Magazine. He's a boxing writer for them. Ryan, what's up, man? How you doing? Very well. How about yourself, guys? Doing good, man. Doing good. You know, just staying safe, healthy through this quarantine as best as we can. That's that's what we're doing. Um, so you've been doing the boxing writing thing, reporting for a while. Brian loves boxing. So do I. Brian loves it oh, more yeah. than me because he loves violence, period. No, so, it's because it's I'm Puerto Rican. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and Puerto Ricans have a great you history know, with boxing. Yeah, yeah, there you go. You're rolling them up now. <laughs> yeah. like, I, I pointed this out the other day because uh, somebody said, like, who's the fighter that got you into boxing? And I was like, it was Felix Trinidad because I've been watching him since I was three. And we share a birthday, which is crazy. I didn't know that until I got older. We have the same birthday, January 10th. That is, that is, that is crazy. Actually, who got me into boxing? There were two guys. It was, it was Tito Trinidad. Mm. And um, 
and Prince Nassim Ahmed because Ahmed was really short and everyone always thought I was Puerto Rican so I love Trinidad. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. No, you, could, you could definitely pass one of No, nah, I can see that too. I, de- I definitely sure. can see, I can definitely okay. see that too. Uh, so Ryan, you, you've been doing this this for a while. You talked about how you, you would, how you fell in love with the sport. How did you get into from falling in love with it, loving the sport at a young age like myself and Brian to, to writing about it? Um, you know what? Because uh, what happened was uh, after I graduated high school and I dropped out after my uh, freshman year in college, I realized I didn't know how to do a whole lot other than um, I knew a lot about boxing and I knew a lot about writing. And I put those two things together when I was like 19 years old. And I said, okay, let me, let me try this out and see what happens. And I'm not going to pretend like it was, this was 2006. I'm not going to pretend like it was automatically off the bat. It was lucrative financially. I always held jobs up until like maybe 10 years ago um, because I had to supplement, you know, my money, you know, uh, but um, it was always an adventure. So it took me everywhere. Like, it was like one of those things where it's like, okay, you're into boxing, um, you know, you're going to get published. You're not going to get paid. I didn't get paid for my first few years, but you're going to have a lot of fun. You're going to be around the sport you love and you're going to get a valuable experience. So in a lot of ways, I went to almost like on the job training college of boxing reporting um, by just going everywhere that there were fights and showing you no, know, there was no card that was too small for me. So mm. some of my most uh, treasured times in boxing were at those little forgotten boxing cards in like suburban New Jersey or outer borough, New York. Uh, you know, that's what I love. Right. Yeah. No, how, I, I love right, it. How, how, how different is the landscape now compared to, I guess, when you were breaking in, because the way I experienced it was just like, I mean, it. so the first fight card that I covered was Barclay Center 2016. I want to say that was Leo Santa Cruz and Carl Frampton, the first fight that they had. That was a good fight there for your first. It was really, yeah, and I had did a profile on Tevin Farmer at that point, um, and I had sort of developed a, this thing with him, I guess, right? And what I noticed was that the access was there or whatever, but I expected more writers not as many like video folks and YouTubers and things of that nature. So I guess tell me about like the landscape and what you've seen in the shift. Cause we've had uh, other podcasts, one, one guest in particular, Xavier Porter, where we talked about like how, you know, this can be in terms of like boxing reporting now. Like I'll tell you, it's changed a lot because when I first got involved in boxing, you know, you had all the newspaper guys. It was, uh, I was the, I was the newbie guy, uh, but you, you, know, you had Thomas Hauser, you had, you know, Tim Smith, you had, you know, George Willis, you had the newspaper guys, uh, you know, they were, you know, established guys who I've been reading since I was a kid. I went away to the Philippines for a few years. I came back and covered a fight at ringside. And I realized I didn't know who most of these people were anymore. Like, I was gone like three, four years. And like you said, a lot of YouTube guys, uh, I guess they figured out a way to monetize. So that's awesome for them. Oh, yeah, Um, they did. But, like, in terms of, like, writing and reporting, like, actual, like, sitting down and banging out a deadline story, there are very few people who can actually do that. And I didn't realize that until I got older. So that's kind of a skill to have, to be able to sit there and, like, break a story. So, um, you know, it's very different. Um, A lot of the the club shows, I miss the club shows. I learned, Mm. I really cut my teeth on the Broadway boxing shows. And the best venue for Broadway boxing in my opinion, was the Manhattan Center, you know, Hammerstein mm, Ballroom. Those places. Yep. They're, they're, they're Great like, wrestling they're, venue, too. It's an amazing wrestling venue right there. If you're a Ring of Honor guy or, you know, yep. the WWECW. But um, the uh, in terms of, like, the shows now in New York, the uh, the club shows are really, like, just the preliminary, like, fights on a big car because they'll, they'll stack a car with, like, ten fights, and you may have, like, one guy or two guys who are local who are selling tickets, uh, Either is the swing bout or is the opening bout, and you know it's it's it's. I feel like New York, with you know the insurance requirements now, kind of killed off a small time local boxing, where like the headliner could be like a popular guy from Harlem or a popular guy from you know Brighton Beach, you know what I mean, something yeah. like that. And then they would all come here, and then they would you know that sort of ever's gone, you know, unfortunately. It's yeah. You know, I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it now that you bring that up because I remember like there would be, and I, I wasn't covering the sport yet at the time, but I remember there would be fights at like the BB King Theater, yeah. Paradise. Theater. I've covered stuff there, Paradise yeah. Theater. 
I'm forgetting yeah. the theater in Brighton Beach I've went to as well, too. I did, there's a bunch I used to cover, just like you, Ryan, all over the place. And I used to do a lot of video work for that. And Brian, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of mad Brian's missed that. Because I think Brian, as a journalist, would have he would have soaked it up so much. Yeah, because, because now that you bring that up, I would say that probably the most access or the best thing that I've done that's boxing related is when Dexter and I did this piece called La Cultura, which we were at King's Theater for, not Barclays Center or Madison Square Garden or whatever. And then I remember I did do a couple things at Resorts World Casino, which, I mean, not great. but And it's all the way out in Jamaica, Queens, which is kind of far for me. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, like it's it's just it's just totally different to being in an arena and there being two guards everywhere you have to freaking walk through. Yeah, yeah, that's you know. But I'll, I'll tell you something. Like at those smaller shows, this is the great thing is that because you, you go to the big shows and like there's the fighter, you know, who the main event is a big star, and and you have to wait till afterwards for the press conference. I, I, at a small show, that's where like the stars just want to hang out and like they're just watching the fights. So yeah. I would go and like I would run into like you know this is back in the day I run into like Paul Malnagi at ringside I'd get a quick interview with him, uh, you might see Winky right there you might see Vernon Forrest you might see all these guys who are just hanging out just you know just trying to watch someone else fight and then hey you know you got a couple of minutes so let's get a quick interview in that kind of thing all right enjoy the rest of the show um, that you know when you go to like Barclays Center and these are great shows or Madison Square Garden you're dealing with a lot of security everyone's on top of their game and it's not yeah. it's much more formal. Than at a club show, right? Yeah, absolutely. No, it's definitely much more formal. I'm glad you brought that up, Ryan, because you were able to see some of those local fighters like Paulie. Paulie, I think, was my first boxing story I ever did when I became a reporter. I interviewed him and went to a practice. Then I saw him in some other fights. So I had done some good stuff just like that. It's amazing how much great stories you can get in that way. And it sucks that era's kind of gone. But Ryan, the real—I won't say the real—we we have you here because we want to talk boxing. But one of the reasons we had you here is. Brian and I, we are both very excited about a fight that's coming up. And so we said we got to have somebody come and talk about it. And it is... Which one is it? What, what, which one do you think it is, right? Which one do you think it is? <laughs> it's uh, Teofimo Lopez and my guy, Lomachenko, who I love. Um, and I like both these guys. Brian got Lopez on my radar probably about a year and a half ago. And then I really started watching him too. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna put it like this, Ryan. This is probably the most excited I have been for a boxing match in quite some time. Because I think it's a really good matchup. Wilder well, Fury won. That was the last one for me, probably. Yeah. And I wasn't as excited for that, but I can see that. But I think you have two really good fighters here, um, Ryan. Are as somebody who covers the sport, are you as excited as Brian and I am about this fight? I'm excited um, because it's a, it's a meaningful fight, and uh, you know, unfortunately, in boxing in recent years, with how you know sectarian it's become and divided, you know, with the TV affiliations. Please, please um, get into it. Please get into it because we've talked about this a lot. <laughs> but that's the thing: there've been all these excuses to not make fights, right? And now with the pandemic, there's even more excuses for people to not make fights. So this is a rare time where like two guys that you want to see fight are fighting. Right. So I think that's great um, in terms of like the action. I think that it could be a chess match. It could be explosive. Um, I think that it's interesting because Lomachenko now is a little bit older and he's not a huge 135. In fact, he's pretty small at 135, mm -hmm. which I think makes it a little bit more interesting. OK, you know, what happens if he does get tagged? Because we've seen him get tagged before. I mean, I was there the night that Linares put him down. Um, you know, he got roughed yep. up a little bit uh, in, in his second fight, when in his only defeat against Salido. So, you know, don't believe the hype when it comes to him being invincible. But, you know, he's very much a vulnerable fighter. He's a human being. But, um, you know, Lopez has his work cut out for him. Is it, so that is the thing, right? Uh, Lomachenko is definitely a very skilled fighter, as, as we know, right? And we've... We've seen, like you said, he's been tagged before. We've seen it. Linares, you mentioned that that matchup. We've seen that. We've also seen him get out of some situations. Lopez, 15-0, 12 knockouts, very aggressive guy. Um, they have different styles. Do, do, styles make the fight, uh, Ryan. Do you think anyone has an advantage here in, in this fight? Or is, is there you know somebody's style that makes it better for the one other guy to win? Well, when you're Lomachenko, you always have the style. Right? So that's like... Uh, he, he always goes into the fight with the, with the skills advantage, the styles advantage, because there's not a whole lot 
like you can do to get ready for Lomachenko other than having previously fought Lomachenko. Um, <laughs> you know, he, you know, he's up and down, he's turning, he's using his angles. Like he, he thinks in a way that very few boxers do, unfortunately. A lot of guys, they want to be right here and they'll make one move. They'll, they'll maybe come to this side, maybe come to that side, but he'll be this side, that side. He's, you know, standing on his head behind you. You know what I mean? Like all sorts of weird things. Um, I think that Lopez definitely earned the fight from the perspective of he's a popular fighter. He is, um, he has a lot of buzz. He had you know, a great win in his last fight, um, knocking out Richard Comey to win the title. Um, but, you know, he's, he's really stepping up. Richard Comey, go from Comey to Lomachenko in terms of skill. And, and, and that's like, you know, being in a different sport, you know. So, um, uh, but I, I know Lopez uh, is really confident. He really believes in himself, and I think that's what a big part of what carries him. Um, but I mean, he, from what I've seen of him before, it, it's it's going to be he's going to have to show us something different in order to pull this fight out. Something that we have never seen yet. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. I, I also want to add, like, I could see this. Like to me, this is kind of a pick'em fight. But at the same time, I don't feel like this is a pick in the way that it'll be very close. I almost feel like if one dude wins, he's going to dominate in some way. Like, I feel like Teofimo Lopez, the sort of game plan for him is obviously to overwhelm him, to tag him or whatever, try to stagger him, whatever the case may be, use his power in that way. And with Lomachenko, I could see this almost being like a Hopkins-Trinidad situation where if he just sort of figures this out in one or two rounds... I think that it, it, it could look very quickly like it's too much too soon for Teofimo Lopez. I've been going back and forth on who I think is actually going to win. I kind of lean towards Lomachenko in this situation. I learned that lesson from Bernard Hopkins when I was seven years old uh, for that reason because he did that to Trinidad. So I was like, okay, yeah, the boxer will probably mostly win in this boxer versus puncher scenario. But I don't know. I don't feel like it's going to be close, but I also feel like it's a toss-up. Is that weird? A little bit weird. A little bit weird. Uh, hey, let's... Let's not bring up Trinidad Hopkins anymore. Yeah, no, <laughs> my, least, my least favorite fight of all time. Um, I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. For the night, you know. Um, but no, I, I, I time to respect Bernard Hopkins after that. I had to really grow up and be like, all right, he's, he's you know, he's behind. Yeah, I, mean, I, I tweeted about this. I, I used to fight with my little brother over that fight because he was a big Hopkins fan. I was a big Trinidad fan, and uh, and he would he would run his mouth, and then we'd like you know come to blows. But um, Trinidad was you know like that's crazy. It <laughs> yeah. is. You know what? Everyone has their match, though. But I, I have to agree with you. I agree with you that um, I think that we will have a clear winner because just the styles, right? Lo- Lopez is a guy who, if he beats you, he's going to blow you out. Um, yeah. We saw in the fight before the Comey fight where he had a lot of issues. And, you know, if he has those kind of issues against Lomachenko, that fight's going to go the other way, right? Yeah. So, and Lomachenko's a guy, if you, he, he He's he's weird because he's not really a mover. He you know he's not a guy who circle the ring. He'll stand right there and then he'll be here here and then you know you, you can't really. Uh, he's like a he's a boxer who pressures right. It's kind of strange. He's a boxer who doesn't move but pressures, uh, and then he forces you to make a mistake and then he capitalizes on that and then you try to you know get back and then he capitalizes on that and then it's like a guy playing speed chess. He's co- constantly hitting the clock and you're looking at your clock and like, wow, where's my time? And I'm, I'm in trouble. Now I lost all my rooks and everything like that. That's what right. fighting Lomachenko's like. And I think that for a young guy like Lopez, I can see his inexperience kind of catching up to him. I can see that. And then, and then the other thing is Lopez has always come across very confident, right, Ryan? And it, there was a quote I, I saw an article you wrote uh, from him where he said, I will beat up Lomachenko and take his belts. Simple as that. I'm coming to Las Vegas to make history. I don't like the guy and I'm going to have fun as Lomachenko's face is beaten and marked up by my hands. <laughs> Confidence has been good for him, right? But is this a case of being too overconfident? Because I think we all agree this is definitely a step up from his last fight. So are you concerned about him being too overconfident coming into this fight? Or should he I go mean, with what got him here? I agree with the second, like, you know, your second option. Just go with what got you there. Um, he is who he is. He's not going to become a different fighter, um, you know, in one fight. Um I think that him being confident will help him in some regards. Um, I am a little bit concerned about him stepping up there and, you know, like, you know, maybe after one or two rounds, he realizes, whoa, this is completely different. 
than mm. anything I've ever seen. But I, I, I think that he's definitely putting in the work. I, I, I've had, you know, he's training over in New Jersey. I, I've had some friends who, who said that they checked out his training and they say he looked good. So um, good for that. Good for him. He's a young guy. But it, it's, a, it's a completely different thing when you're in the ring with Lomachenko. Like people tell me, it's like, you know, it, it's not anything like a, any other boxer. You know, I, I remember seeing him, I think it was his third pro fight. He fought in Macau or so. Um, and I got to see him up close. It was a Pacquiao undercard. And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, Lombateco, I heard he's a pretty good fighter. I saw his first goal fight. Yeah, he's all right. And then I saw him up close. Like, whoa, he does that <laughs> to people? Like, how is this possible? Like, why yeah. are they allowing this? This is amazing. <laughs> what, why what are they you, allowing this? I like that. <laughs> what, do you, what do you guys make? Okay, so there's obviously a pandemic factor in here. Otherwise, I feel like we probably would have gotten this month sooner. Um Vasily Lomachenko, I'm looking at it now. So he hasn't fought since August of last year. Yeah. And that was a Luke Campbell fight. Actually, damn, that feels like a long time ago. Yeah, it really and then, and then Richard Comey was in December. I think that was here because I think I was yeah. at that fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that was here. And that might have been on the Terrence Crawford undercard where he fought to do with the long name. Yeah, the it name was. I can't pronounce. It was. Uh, yeah. Me Machine. Yeah, that's what we called him. Um, which was, you know, it was. I didn't think he was going to put Comey away like that. But, like, there's a factor in here where, like, Lomachenko's been out of the ring for over a year. And Teofimo Lopez has been out for 10 months. And, I mean, that's a lot of time, but it's still less time to Lomachenko. Do you think that, you know, we might see some rust? Maybe maybe this will be a slower pace fight than we think early on that will pick up around three or four? Or, you know, what do you think? I think that's always how Lomachenko goes at it, though. It's like he'll go out there, he'll touch you a little bit. Like, his way of boxing is very strange compared to, like, you know, it's not – there's not a whole a lot of parallels to him. Like even his training looks weird. But like he's a guy who he builds tempo. He kind of gets a feel for you. Then maybe like first round, second round, he'll touch you a little bit just to see where you are. And then he starts to pick it out five, six, seven, and then he's doing the ole bullfighting and he's you know whatever he's doing. <laughs> um, like even against who was it he fought? The um, the other guy. Um, uh, Pedraza, he fought Pedraza. That oh, yeah. yeah. It, he, t- he was, like, having trouble early on. And then 10, 11, 12, you know, Pedraza's barely making it out of the fight. So, yeah. Uh, I, but for Lopez, Lopez is always, like, he's very tight, right? He's very, like, ready to spring. And yeah. so you never, he, he can go from doing nothing to knocking you out pretty quickly. So it's, it's, it's so hard true. to tell, like when he's warming up, because he's not a guy that you know, unfortunately, who sets up, who, who who like who will initiate a lot of work and then you know kind of work off of that. He likes to do this whole thing in the pocket. I, it's I, so true. <laughs> I think that's a problem against Lomachenko, especially a guy who's going to switch you know angles and come at you this side and that side. You know, it's I think that he could have a lot of problems if he just sticks to that and thinks he's going to walk Lomachenko into a shot. Yeah, that's a great point because it looks like it looks when he fights Teofimo Lopez, it looks like he's almost looking for the knockout the whole time. So mm-hmm. I feel like with Lomachenko's movement, because you know he'll stand here, he'll move over here. It's like his patience could actually come back to hurt him because Lomachenko would just be scoring in early rounds because he knows that oh I don't need to do too much for this guy because he's gonna look to knock me out. I could just keep giving him angles. I could jab him here, move here, and then all of a sudden he's up three rounds to nothing. And I think that's something that could get in Teofimo Lopez's head where he starts swinging for the fences and Lomachenko just has to stay out of the way of it. And then all of a sudden we have a fight that's, you know, close to 12-0 at the end of the night. Yeah, that, that could really happen. I mean, I, I, I wonder about that, like what, how it's going to look. Um, Lopez, you know, it's, it's like so hard to count a guy like Lopez because it's like whenever they say, oh, I'm going to kill this guy, I'm going to, you know, whatever. I'm like, does he know something I don't? <laughs> like, He's like, explosive, man. He's very explosive. Some are always looking for more sports content, and among the glut of sports media, some are looking for sports content that dives a bit deeper and doesn't just stick to sports. So check out Backpack Broadcasting's original long-form sports journalism series, Sideline Stories. The award-winning original series takes viewers directly into underrepresented communities within the world of sports. It's a series that goes beyond traditional sports reporting, like box scores and statistics, presenting exclusive stories that you won't find anywhere else. With a diverse group of correspondents, the series provides interviews and interesting stories around the world of sports, because there is so much beyond the game, and so much that occurs off the field or court that impacts each of us and the world we live in. 
giving a voice to athletes, coaches, fans, and everyone involved in athletics, Sideline Stories looks to push sports storytelling further than ever before. It's a winner of the 2020 Independent Shorts Awards, and all episodes of Sideline Stories are available for viewing today on Backpack Broadcasting's YouTube channel and Facebook page. But with this being said, Ryan, Ryan and I have talked about, you know, with this through the pandemic and this fight being on ESPN, and we think it's a good matchup. I think we all do. But it's two, you know, names. People in boxing know Lomachenko. Maybe he's not a super household name. Teofoma Lopez is a is a rising star. Um, how big is this fight for boxing? I guess that's what I'm going to ask. If if this ends up being a good fight, a memorable fight, in whatever way you take that as, how big is this fight for the sport of boxing? Well, I think that it's big for us boxing people, right? It's like, oh yeah, this is a great fight because you know we, we love we want to see guys in fights that we don't know what's going to happen. You know what I mean? And unfortunately. Yes. Like ninety nine percent of the fights, like yeah, we know it's gonna happen. You know what I mean? Like you know, it's we we we'll write our stories and say hey, you never know, but we're thinking yeah, well I know. But this is a fight that you know, uh, Lopez, you know, who I think is the underdog, you know, well should be the underdog, um, yeah. has a real chance uh, of doing something because you know how many times have there, has there been like an old champion who's like so dominant? Like I'm thinking like Kasha's you against Ricky Hatton, you know that mm. kind of thing where it's like. You never know when a guy is going to fall apart in a night. And like you said, you know, Lomachenko's been off for a while, and he's a really small, lightweight. Like, he should probably competitively be at 126. Um, but uh, And Lopez is, like, you know, the largest lightweight ever. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> he's like a welterweight, you know, fights as a lightweight. So uh, if, how, how will that play out? Um, in terms of, like, what this fight can mean, I think that, obviously, if Lomachenko wins the fight, it's a, it's a, it's another great you know thing on his resume uh, for um, you know his future Hall of Fame consideration and he'll you know he'll get in. Um, but if Lopez wins, and especially if he wins in a, in a spectacular way on ESPN, you know on free TV or you know cable free cable. Well, I don't think it's free, but cable. Right. Um, Accessible. He, he we're we're looking at a new star in boxing, right? Like. This is going to be the guy. Like Everyone's like, oh, this is the guy now. This is going to be the guy. Lopez, he talks to talk. He's walking it now. He beat Lomachenko. What else do you want? You know what I mean? So uh, I think that there's great potential uh, for the sports future, especially if we get a guy like Teofimo Lopez who emerges as – because he's got that all that crossover stuff. He's got the personality. Like I didn't know who – I had never heard of Teofimo Lopez when I met him at his pro debut right before. It. He, he was, I think Pacquiao and Jesse Vargas – and they put him up on the stage and like he, you know, he was dressed immaculately and he acted like he was somebody. I interviewed him because I was like, I had no idea who this guy was, but he talked like he was really somebody and like, OK. So he had that before he even turned pro. And if he could beat a guy like Vasily Lomachenko, then he's a star. And, you know, when when everything clears up, he's going to be headlining at Madison Square Garden. Um, he's going to be headlining. All, I, I don't think he's just going to be a, a New York fight. He's going to be like a guy that you could bring anywhere, Vegas whatever, because he's got the it factor. But here's the thing for me, Ryan. If that happens and he does win, Lopez, does the sport know what to do with him, right? Because we talked about it before about how, you know, we've seen fights that we already know the outcome or there's a lot of fights that should happen, that don't happen, that annoy myself and Brian, like, constantly. So if Lopez wins this, which I agree with everything you said, like, this would be huge for him and this would put him to this next level. But does the sport know what to do with him, uh, with all the problems that are in boxing, like, are you confident that he can fight uh, good opponents and still be marketed well? Uh, I am to the you know because I think that Bob Arum knows what to do with a guy like Lopez, right? Like, you know, that's you know he doesn't have to be very creative to to get him out there. Um, and I, I don't think I don't see him being like you know the way that Terence Crawford is, where it's like he's a great fighter, but doesn't really bring a whole lot personality wise and then like you know to make people say okay you know what this is a risk worth taking uh people will you know uh, not want to have that fight or like the big guys will be at the other you know because if you're a 147 pounder and you're not with pbc you're, you're kind of limited um so that's a different situation i think that when you have lopez with all you know with all the belts basically um wait i think wait, this is all the belts right um i should probably know that um but I with him having too. at least most right of the belts, right, um, most then yeah. he's going to be a guy that you're going to have to fight. And 
There's going to be, I think there's pay, there's real pay-per-view potential in Lopez because he knows how to market himself. Like this, the guy had business cards before his pro debut. He handed me a business card. I'm like, you know, this guy was on point. You know what I mean? So I like that. You know, the guy, the guy was already a businessman before he had already been involved in business. So um, I think with Lopez, um, he's the kind of guy that can break through those issues. Uh, and also, if you're 135, there's not a, there's not a whole lot else where you can go. You know, you, exactly. yeah, he's the show in town. Yeah, right. Um, I'm looking at it now. So apparently, the WBC is not on the line. It's just the IBF, the WBO, and the WBA Super. WBA. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, almost all the belts. Uh, what I was going to ask you is, do you think that, like, I mean, this seems to be starting a trend, or not starting a trend, but there seems to be, like, some other good fights that are trending in this direction of being 50-50 in the future. Uh, I'm looking at Leo Santa Cruz and Javante Davis as being one of them, although I don't like that it's on pay-per-view, but that is a pretty good undercard, so I'm actually not that mad about it. And then in November, uh, I... Are we officially getting Danny Garcia and Errol Spence? And to be honest, I don't know if that's a 50-50 fight for me. But I don't know if we're getting that fight. But, like, one of my things in boxing right now is just the lack of 50-50 fights that we've talked about already. Uh, This is a fight that hasn't really excited me. Uh, This is a fight that's excited me more than any other fight since Wilder and Fury. And that's a long time ago. And not to do the MMA comparison, but comparatively... MMA is putting out a lot more 50-50 fights, and people are just going to forever do that because they're the two combat sports that people pay the most attention to. For the future of boxing, do you think that this could be something that gets them maybe on the right track? Or is it just like, oh, top rank is two great fighters, they're doing business here, and the segregation is going to continue because Eddie Hearn and others don't want to put their money where their mouth is? I actually, I think that you're going to get a mixed bag. I, you know, I, I thought that pay-per-view, um, or rather big, like, like the pay, I, I think it's a shame that Javante Davis is on pay-per-view, even though that's kind of like a, a good matchup in terms of the name, even though I think that Javante Davis is way too big for him. Um, but I think that, um, you know, it, it depends. It depends on where the fights can be made. Because um, when you have Errol Spence and Danny Garcia, I don't think that's a 50-50 fight, but I also don't think anyone should ever overlook Garcia because he's very durable. We don't know what yeah. Spence has left uh, after mm-hmm. that um, car accident. And this is a guy, Garcia, who can be at, completely out of a fight, and then he's landing a right hand, and you're, and you're on your back. Uh, and, and we've seen Spence get caught before, you know, yep. a, a, a rock. Pre, uh, pre-car accident also. Pre-car, pre-car accident. Gone. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, you know, we, we don't know how that's going to go. Um, I like that fight. Um, but, you know, I, I would like to see it, like, in the 90s. Like, you know, Trinidad and, and Oscar De La Hoya. Even the fight, you know, was kind of like, you know, uh, didn't live up to its hype. That, that, that was two guys who were big-name guys who have brought in a lot of money. Don King and Bob Barron were like, you know what? Let's come together and make this money together here. Uh, I think a lot of promoters now, unfortunately, want to just do everything in-house. I think it hurts the product. Uh, I would like to see more people when, when there's money to be made. And look, when we had Pacquiao Mayweather, not, not to cut off my own sentence, but when we had Pacquiao Mayweather, how long did that take to, for two guys – to say, finally, you know what? Let's make nine figures together. You know what? Five Let's years. put it aside. You know. And, and, now, and now, Pacquiao wants to fight Conor McGregor, apparently, or Ugh. McGregor wants to fight him. And look, you know that fight's gonna get made. Like I see, I have issues with that, and I have a lot of issues with what the Zone is doing with the YouTubers, mm-hmm. and then like a lot of their guys on their roster, their fight. They they bring in a lot of dudes you've never heard of, and it's like this is our main event. A 25-0 and 0 champion versus a guy who's 19-3 and 3 with, like, eight knockouts that you've never heard of. And they do that shit a lot, and that shit is annoying. The zone yeah. in particular. Match I, I agree. And I think it's like um, – because this is like – I actually for – you know, I'm, I'm a graduate student at the CUNY uh, Graduate School of Journalism. One of my op-ed pieces was like, oh, what really upsets me? I have to write an opinion. I'm like, oh, I know what upsets me. These YouTube guys who, like, fight their friends, you know what I mean? <laughs> and then they make a lot of money. And, they, and they, they're the main they, events. <laughs> they're cosplayers. They're cosplayers. Like, you know, back in the huh. day, like, I, I mean, I'm into anime. I would dress up like, you know, Inuyasha or something like that. But I didn't actually go out there and think I was like an anime figure. These guys are <laughs> cosplaying as boxers and getting to do like whatever they thought like Muhammad Ali did. And then they have a boxing <laughs> record. And it's really, I think it kind of like shows how low the bar to entry, um, you know, the barrier for entry is boxing. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I think it's kind of sad that like, 
But before, you know, other, listen, everyone, you know, in boxing at least, we're excited about Lopez versus Lomachenko. Yes. Um, but if you ask the average person on the street, like, yeah, I want to see that Roy Jones versus Mike Tyson fight. It's not a fight. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's a problem, right, Ryan? More, you're right. More people on the street would probably want to see that than this fight that's that's coming up. And that's, that's a real, a real fight. No one wants to see that. Right. Yeah, Nobody and, wants to see that. And also, they might not have heard. They're like, you know, the casual person. Like, who? oh, who's this Lopez guy? Who's this Lomachenko guy? They might not even know. It's entirely possible. No, that, that's, that's very likely, actually. And, I, you know, I think that was part of my story was that, like, you know, boxing has done a really bad job of creating new stars. You know what Agreed. I mean? Like, um, like I was walking around like 10 years ago with Peter Quill and Kid Chocolate. And we're walking around like Church Street area downtown. And, you know, we were talking about Sergio Martinez. And Sergio Martinez is a middleweight champion. And he's like, I don't need to fight this guy. I'm a star. So what did he do? Kid Chocolate and me, we're walking around. He goes up to random people in the street because he has no shyness or like whatever. Social anxiety doesn't exist for him. It's so true. he goes up to random people. Hey, have you heard of Sergio Martinez? No, I've never heard of him before. Uh, have you heard of Floyd Mayweather? Yeah, I know, I know who he is. Oh, see, that's a superstar of the sport. No one, nobody on the street had heard of this guy. <laughs> so um, that, and they didn't even know who Peter Quillen was. He's standing right in front of them. So, I mean, that's the thing. Boxing has not made new stars the way back in the day. They would be like Ray Leonard. They would be, you know, uh, even guys like Larry Holmes. You, everyone knew who Larry Holmes was. I was yep. watching Eddie Murphy making jokes about Larry Holmes, you know, and, like, I think it was, um, what was the big one? The big guys? Delirious? One of those things, yeah. Oh, it, was, it was in Delirious, yeah. Okay. He's wearing, like, the red, you know, leather. This is prime Eddie Murphy at his peak talking about Larry Holmes. Like, you don't hear any comedians like, yeah, let's talk about Deontay Wilder now. You know what I mean? That doesn't, you know what I mean? <laughs> that, 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 the, the heavyweight champions, the biggest stars in boxing are not, like, to us in boxing, are not like household names the way that they used to be. I don't know if that's because as a, as, a, as a society, we've evolved away from wanting to see people get beat up. Well, actually, no way. Everyone knows who Ronda Rousey is and Conor McGregor, so maybe that's not the issue. Maybe it's a problem with you know boxing. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's just a boxing thing because like in MMA, like now everyone's talking about Israel Adesanya, and he's become this name within the last year or so where now he's arguably the biggest star in the sport. And the UFC, like, they, people thought that they've had a star problem when they've really been able to churn out new stars. The WWE, even, for the for the criticism they get, and yes, oh, I'm going to lump go. them in here, Dexter. Oh, God. Uh, the WWE, for the criticism they get, like, yo, they've been able to create new stars during this whole sort of era. Uh, even with, like, Kofi Kingston winning the championship last year and Drew McIntyre's had a championship this year. And it's, like, comparatively, in boxing, it's kind of true. Like, the, Deontay Wilder is one that always never made sense to me. He should have been a way bigger star than yeah. he was because he had a crazy knockout record where mm -hmm. there was a point where I don't remember where it got up to, uh, but he had, you know, all of his wins were by knockout up until the Bermain Stavern fight. And then he ended up knocking him out. And it's like, yo, this is what people wanted, like a heavyweight champion who's like built like a small forward or a power forward who can knock people out with one shot and is actually and That's yeah. personality. And his personality and is from America. I mean, I know he was black and a lot of people are racist, but at the same time, it's like <laughs> Deontay Wilder is exactly what the boxing fan would have wanted. And it didn't make sense that there wasn't more of a push to get behind him, I guess, from the mainstream audience. Like, let me tell you something. I, I covered boxing in the, in the Philippines for a long time, right? And, you know, and I, we don't have heavyweights in the Philippines. So I was watching 105 pound, 108 pound fighters. I was on vacation and I went to the rematch with uh, Deontay Wilder. I'm just sitting there like, oh, yeah, I, I know boxing, sure. And then I saw what Deontay Wilder did to Berman Stavern and I was like traumatized emotionally. Like, really, I, I was like shaking. I'm like, what did I just see? I was at that fight. This guy got killed. Why is he even calling the cops? Like, <laughs> I, had a, I have a video of that, actually, from ringside. Because I was like, we're the one where he's standing in front of him like the Hulk. And then he just winds up and knocks him out. Like, I have that whole thing. And it was crazy. Right. So, so with all that being said, I know there's so many sports problems with the sport. Um, Ryan, this fight, Lopez Lomachenko. What's your prediction? Who do you have? I got Lomachenko winning a pretty comfortable decision. I think. I, I think it's going to be a uh, early rounds. We're going to be seeing. Okay, Lopez is going to try some things. He's going to try to make adjustments. But I think when you're talking about seven, eight rounds, and you know things aren't going his way. That's when Lomachenko steps up. You know, he almost his his, his pacing is almost like Alexis Arguello, and that mm. he's a guy who will, 
you know, you know, you may get a couple early rounds, but you know what? He's going to be there for the championship rounds. And if you don't have the, the experience digging deep there and and knowing how to adjust, and you know, I I, I think Lopez is going to have a hard time as the fight goes on. I'm kind of leading the same way. Dex. I'm leading that way too. No, I was going to say, <laughs> yeah, I'm, it, that's kind of been my thought. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if, like you said, in the early rounds, Ryan, we see some aggressiveness by Lopez that does give Loma some problems, but I think he's going to figure this out. Like, I think he's going to figure it out and just the craftiness, the savviness, the way he boxes, like you talked about before, all the angles, the way he can apply pressure to you without really moving. I think, um, yeah, I think it's going to be too much for Lopez, but I'm excited for it, man. Like, like, word. I, I, you know, I hope I've always said, I, I like when Loma's challenged and I like how I've seen how he's responded. And so I expect this to be a challenge for him in, in some regard. So we'll see. We'll, def- we'll, de- we'll definitely see how it is. All right, that that's it. We Ryan Sangalia, check out his writing for Ring Magazine. He does a great job. Thank you, man. We got to have you back on the next time uh, we we talk about some boxing. Hopefully there's another fight that really excites us for us to talk about. Hopefully. Yeah, no, I really appreciate uh, having me on. And um, guys, I hope you guys enjoy the fight too. For sure. All right, brother. Be well. Thank you, man.